out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today we are doing things a bit differently. My friend Marva, the doer of things of our episode of 20 December 2018, now has his own podcast too. It is called Talking Orangutans and can be found on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Talking Orangutans podcast. A few months ago, he invited me to talk to him on Talking Orangutans specifically about addiction. This episode of Meet Me in the Field is the sound recording of that podcast. I hope you get something from it. This episode is supported by the first layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on the first layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. This is my talk on addiction. Sit back and enjoy. All right, we're live. <laughs> Welcome, Freddy. <laughs> you look like you got a fright. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the five-second silence. I was going to do that, but we're <laughs> fucking like around already. This. this fucking fridge. Okay, guys, we're going to talk about drug addiction, alcoholism. We're going to talk about codependency. Uh, I want to chat about depression. I want to talk about bipolar, mental illnesses. I hate calling it disorders because it makes me feel like you're somehow classifying it as a problem. Same with like post-traumatic stress syndrome. I fucking hate the term syndrome because it's not. It's just post-traumatic stress. So I want to talk about that stuff on a more theoretical basis with uh, practical examples. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that either themselves or their family members, friends or acquaintances might have these symptoms. They're unsure if they actually qualify for one of this. And um, they can go seek help. And possibly if they're alone, um, there is help. There's people that can understand. There's actually decades and centuries of science and studies going about how to help these people. And there are a lot of ways of just not only surviving and stop being suicidal, but actually be happy. And there's a lot of like people that has overcome this yeah. you're not alone and freddie is a fantastic guy that can help out with that he's a counselor um are you specializing in sex addiction or just general addiction general addiction okay yeah um, um i would like to specialize in sex addiction but i'm not appropriately located for that we're at, we're basically in the plot land where, where i am so, the Boerland. Um, <laughs> the Halderbank. We are not the Platteland. <laughs> Fuck that. And um, so I will kind of specialize myself out of a job nearly. Okay. So I, I need to, to earn a living. I need to do um, general addiction. Are you saying that we don't have enough sex addicts in the Boerland? We don't have enough people who are, uh, uh, admit that they have a problem. <laughs> Why? Because to we're too conservative over here. I think that's one. And another one is people don't really know that what they are experiencing might be an addiction. So hopefully what we do here today will be one of those things that, that bring addiction in general and 
mental health and sex addiction into the open. Part of what I do and why I agree to be on these type of chats is I truly believe that, and I see addiction as a mental health issue, mm. that we need to remove the stigma around mental health and we need to make mental health a dinner party conversation. Mm. One thing that happens often, I used to work for three years, I worked on a addiction helpline where this lady will catch her 16-year-old son smoking marana. And she goes, oh my God, what do I do? Mm. And she goes online and she says, um, marijuana smoking teenager, help. <laughs> and our website would come up. And she would then call and say, I, I need help for my son. And I would be the one on the other side of the line mm. to answer that call. And it was so interesting to realize nobody knows or very few people know where to find help because it's not discussed. Mm. The day that I admitted that I had a, a problem and I needed help, the first thing that we went through was, what now? Yeah. We ended up with my doctor and he kind of went... Like you a had, GP. Yeah, GP. And he went, you need to get to rehab. And I said, okay, so where? He said, I don't know. And he scratched around his drawer and said, Oh, look, I've got a pamphlet of one rehab center. And he took out the pamphlet, called that one rehab center, and I was booked in. So it, <clears throat> you would expect a doctor to have a list of rehabs, what, sorry, <clears throat> what they specialize in mm. to be able to, to get you the best treatment. I just got treatment because it was the only one that we knew. And what would have happened if that guy didn't have a pamphlet? Fuck We knows. possibly would have gone onto the internet and mm. called somebody like me. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you know, like, okay, we're going to talk about mental health, but a big part for, for my present journey is uh, um, brain injuries, which causes yes. mental health problems. So mental health is one, but I think over this next 10, 15 years, uh, brain injuries is becoming more and more important yeah. to study that. But uh, we're not going to go into that today. We're just talking mental health. So... Let's just run down. So, alcoholism, does that yes. classify under mental health? As I said, I classify addiction under a mental health issue. So, alcoholism is an addiction, so yes. So, alcoholism, narcotics, drug addiction, pharmaceutical addiction, gambling addiction, yes. uh, sex addiction. Yeah. So, sex addiction is, for example... Pornography is included yeah. in that. Prostitution, Absolutely. masturbation, whatever. Voyeurism. Voyeurism. Um, I almost find codependency as an addiction because it's yes. almost like you're addicted to that other individual in your life. You can't be without them. Totally. Then what I suffered from personally, not suffered, but uh, was uh, adrenaline seeking. So ah. adrenaline was a big addiction yes. for me. Um, when, those, when those endorphins start rushing, then you're, you're hooked, kind of. Ah, yes. Yeah, well, I think um, it was, I, I don't really want to talk about it. I speak about it quite a lot, but I don't know. Life was quite mundane and it's like, fuck, got to live life to the fullest, you yeah. know, and normal life is just too boring. Like this makes me feel alive. Um, what other type of addictions? You've, you've, What's the sex love addiction? Okay. We get, it's weird. I think of, there are three types of addiction which I, which I throw into one category. And we call them the S addictions because that's sex, sex and love, and love. And, and you put them in one pot. I, 
I but put, some people put them in three I parts. I think of them as as similar. Okay. Because what it is, it is it's this obsession about someone or something outside of us. Hmm. But in my head, and I think more in, there in terms of the fellowships. Hmm. And when I talk about fellowships, I talk about 12-step programs. Now, 12-step programs are the best, best known one is Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where you go into... Sit in a circle. They, they, that's my where name into, is uh, Merva. I'm yeah, a alcoholic. My name I'm, is Merva. I'm, hi, I'm Merva. Merva. <laughs> normally in movies, they say, we love you, Merva. I had to say to my husband, and we don't say that. <laughs> we might say, keep coming back or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and in terms of the fellowships, those three kind of feed off each other because a lot of love addicts also have a sex element and a lot of sex addicts also have a love element. So it's nearly as if there's love addiction, sex addiction, and sex and love addiction stand in the middle. Ah, okay. So th- that's why I link those three in my, in my own head. So I, let's say, I, for I example, together. a lot of addicts will drink, but they'll also take narcotics. Yes. And then somehow they converge. That, that's why those two in, in my head. Also and what is a love addiction? Does that mean somebody treats you like shit, but you somehow love them, or their interaction with you is associated with love and then you continue to keep them in your life because that aff- the affirmation that you get like there you go that's the word when's the last time you were in love with my with my wife <laughs> cool <laughs> with my that, cats at that, the moment that was the right answer <laughs> <laughs> with my cats can like, you remember that that feeling of being in love yeah love addicts fall in love with that feeling so there's like it, butterflies, it's the, it's the excitement. It's a chemical process that, that, that happens in the brain. Yeah. The, that, that you're on a high. Yeah. It's like, like flirting with someone. It's like mm, there's this. Yes. And, and, and that's what, what love addicts are. So what we normally find with a love addict is that they fall in love with somebody and they have that high. And then the, the high starts waning. But they like this person so in a relationship. But because the, the, the high has dropped they start looking for the next person to fall in love with so they can experience the high. So once, once they, they, they have that person, we'd call it grooming. So we'd normally start grooming the next person to fall in love with. So they groom the person to f- in almost like a pottery master to become someone that they can have yes. that same experience with. Yes, absolutely. So, does, so once you continue in a long-term relationship with that individual, does that then go into codependency? Yes. So we separate those two. Yeah. So love addictions is quite a short-term based, yeah. go through different people. Invariably, you would, you would be lining up the next one for when this high drops so that you can get the next high. And then what the affirmation is mm. uh, uh, that person buys you shit, treats you, dines you, the sex like comments. Yeah, just that feeling of being liked and, acceptance and, and accepted. And why can't the people continue to just... I love this. So why can't it develop from I'm in love with this person to I love this person and want to spend a lot of time with them? What prohibits them from going to the next level? It's the same as asking me, why is a coke addict not happy to do one gram? Hmm. (laughs) Why isn't that motherfucker (laughs) happy? (laughs) We We seek the high. Okay. So taking it back to my adrenaline seeking, like life becomes fucking boring and to feel alive, I need to have this. Exactly. And with love addicts, it becomes individuals. Yeah. 
And with sex addicts, what is that? They have to just have that ejaculation, or is no. it the the what is? Again, it is it is the, the the chemical process in the brain, the the excitement of what you are going to in, engage in. So the being naughty, you, I'm being. Are you, are you old enough to remember modems? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know how, but a trigger, the sound of a modem is for many sex addicts. Okay. Because they would decide they're going to, to, to watch porn. Okay. And then with a the modem starts, that adrenaline starts. starts Almost pumping. like a 20th century fox when that uh, beginning <laughs> of the movie, I'm going to watch a movie now. Like it's <laughs> that, a, like. That type of thing, yeah. They're excited about what. What's this movie going to be about? It's going to have lots of action, lots of lots so of. So you would say the the, same type of the, the sex addicts of the nineties were a lot more patient <laughs> <laughs> than the ones Absolutely. that expecting instant streaming yes, these yes, days. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and what we find with, with 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 sex addicts is, so we get addicted to that. What is new? What is interesting? What is prohibited? What is naughty? Okay. The the the, the initial thing, but all of it stems down to. I'm not okay with me. So therefore, I, I don't want to experience what I'm experiencing here with me now. I yeah. want something else. And that is the, the concept. That's the principle of addiction. But that's not a conscious decision every time. It sometimes becomes no. a pattern. It, and it, just it becomes a, an, obses- an, an obsession. It becomes a compulsion okay. at some stage. So um, we will, that's why we talk a lot about obsessive sexual behavior. Yeah. And we talk about the compulsion to use. Okay. It's very much an obsession and a compulsion. So, but let's say pornography. Yeah. It's pretty normal and standard. Playboy magazines, hustlers, whatever. And then the internet came about and DVDs and videos and ETV late night. (laughs) So, how do you distinguish this and just being a normal kid? (laughs) How about being just a normal kid or normal sexuality versus now I've actually I'm in this gray zone of I might fall back the fence to normality versus go to a sex addict and at which point do you become this is really abnormal unhealthy in any addiction we look at two things yeah the one is tolerance and the other one is let's call it withdrawal okay the normal addict, the normal person, will switch the computer on, watch a few scenes of pornography, have his orgasm, and switch off and carry on with his life. Okay. The sex addict will do that for the first few days, weeks, months. It depends on, on, on how fast the, the addiction progresses. Mm. And then just watching a normal sex scene doesn't give him that high that he had the first time. Okay. So now he starts looking for more interesting stuff, okay. more intense stuff. That's why sex addicts, pornography addicts, invariably end up in really, really hectic things. Now, how because hectic... Because everything's it, available on the dark yes. web. So depending on the individual, that hectic can be bestiality or it can end with snuff movies. You know, it... it but the, ultimately, we need more and more excitement to get the same high as is, we did the first time. Is snuff movies, someone's actually getting killed or is this the act of someone getting killed? You don't know. My understanding is somebody actually does get killed. Are you fucking serious? Yes. It's like, what is that? It's not a movie, Eight Snake Eyes or 8mm with Nicolas Cage. I remember a movie like that 
early 2000s. And I, got I remember it disturbed, eight millimeter, I can't remember what it, it was disturbed me slightly seeing that. I was like, that's not cool. And I read a book the other day where, um, I think it was a Jack Reacher book. Um, the guy, Jack Reacher book. And uh, it was this euthanasia hotel where you can choose the okay. way you want to die. So fucking spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, the people went and there was, they were wined and dined and they did it. And then once they went into the hotel, they were hostages and they would be it. killed according to people that go into the dark web and they like, I want someone to be dying like this. Oh my word. And then they would be watch, recording videos and stuff. Yes. And, you know, and then everyone would, I don't know, it was fucking dark. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe that exists, but uh, I'm sure it does. Yeah. You know that that's the new trend in pornography? What? Um, Custom-made pornography. Okay. You get pornography producers where you can pay them mm. to shoot a scene that you want to see. I, 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 I read a, g a guy on the, the Guardian did something like this, yeah. and he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. And, you know, it was like something like, this guy had a post collection, post stamps. Yes, so you did had you, the same one as I did, yes. And then he wanted the lady to step on it with high heel shoes because yeah. he realized that it's worthless and it's his life thing and it's literally that. <laughs> I was like, but I'm like, that's fairly, I think that's fairly healthy. Just a little feet on your stamps. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to... <laughs> yes. Very true in terms of custom-made pornography. I reckon kind of stepping on stamps. Or he apparently had a few a few different custom houses. Mm. He, he sent different parts of the of the collection to different houses. Yeah, and one was where three girls had to kind of destroy the the the, the, the collection while they were lying in front mm. of a fire. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's yeah, hectic. So, so tolerance. So, so and that's the one is tolerance. Yeah, and the other one is once the event is over. Yeah. Whether you're going to develop a sense of withdrawal okay. until you get to the next one. So, like, for, for, for example, like, heroin usage, go cold turkey. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, coke, you're on this heavy downer, ecstasy, whatever. Yes. Like, weed, you get your emotions yeah. back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. drinking, you're, like, hung over. Yeah. So, what would a, a, a pornography or a love addict experience, what is their withdrawal? An obsession for more. But what's the feeling? The feeling, is, the feeling is, is, is very much that. I'm going to answer your question slightly differently. Is we think of addiction as a mental obsession, yeah. a physical allergy, and a um, 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 emotional emptiness, a spiritual void. Okay. So one of the first things we, we experience is that obsession for more because we we are struggle to deal with the reality of, of of what our life is so obsession is it's just fucking running in a loop in your head yeah. and no matter what activity it's almost like you just want to clean the house to get it out yeah. of your head is that what's uh, obsession okay yes 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 so once you stop watching porn you've had your orgasm and you you you, you kind of back to normal again yeah then it starts Okay. Kind of, I'm not okay to be here now. 
Mm. I'm not okay with, with, with how I'm feeling mostly. Addiction is about feeling. It's about not wanting to feel what I'm feeling right now. So Whatever that feeling might be. So let's say you do it a lot. Drinking, fucking whatever. Um, so if you do it, you're in, caught in this pattern, but you're not obsessing yet. Does that mean you haven't reached your rock bottom where the repercussions has had, uh, have come up and you basically just have to wait until you hit that bottom yeah. because at the moment it's manageable, it's cool, it's still interesting, but you can't get out of the pattern, but you're fine. And then once shit hits the fan, then you know, okay. And Do you need to hit the rock bottom to get out of it? No, no. But I want to answer, again, answer your question with, with, with the following statement. Is, okay. So... The mental obsession and the physical allergy. Now, that concept comes from alcoholism, where, where the old alcoholics said that you're actually physically allergic to alcohol. Your body physically has a different process happening in it. Mm. I have a different view on that, possibly slightly controversial, I'm not sure. Mm. And I believe that the allergy presents itself in the fact that whatever I do, to take me out of the now has a different meaning to me than it has to you. So, for instance, if I watch a porn scene and you watch, watch the same porn scene and we end watching the scene with, with our orgasm once we've, once we've masturbated, you are okay to go back to your life as it is. I'm not. For me, that being busy watching that, that, that porn meant something completely different to me. It had a completely different impact, meaning, impact on me than it, than it did for you. Because I have this, and now we get to the third thing, this spiritual void, this emotional emptiness that that scene possibly filled for me. And you don't have that. Mm. So the scene won't be filling a void for you or you won't be trying to fill a void while you're watching it. So therefore you can stop watching it and carry on with your life. It's almost like, sorry, yeah? Well, I can't. Because the minute... The high is over. Mm. Now I'm stuck with this emptiness inside me again. And would you say it's almost like, um, I don't know, my wife shows me something on Instagram. I look at the picture. I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. And she shows it to somebody else. And, they, and that picture is caught in their mind. And they want to go back and go see it. It's yeah. almost something like that. Like you want to go that, revisit it's it or something. That, that, that it has for you. Okay. That's why you can get two people in a relationship doing drugs together. The one ends up an addict and the other one doesn't. Mm. And that, that's what happened with me in my first marriage. Okay. Is my partner and I used to use together. Yeah. And I ended up hitting rock bottom because I could not stop. Yeah. Because the drugs had such a different meaning to me. It took me away from the stuff I didn't want to deal with. Mm. So when I wasn't on drugs, I had to deal with the stuff. So I rather went out and I got more drugs. Well, he didn't have that stuff to deal with, or he was okay to deal with it. Yeah. And that's another very interesting thing. Us as counselors could be faced with a situation where somebody says to you, I am traumatized because my mother slapped me when I was six when I broke a vase. Yeah. And you think, but <laughs> what, what's the big deal? Yeah. We cannot decide for somebody 
Yeah. What is the trauma? Mm. We can't decide for somebody what is it that you're trying to get away from. Is, yeah. it, is it important enough? Is it bad enough? Mm. We all experience a car accident. You will get four people in a car experiencing the accident exactly the same way, exactly the same time. Yeah. The meaning they take away afterwards are four different, completely different meanings, and the way they react to that mm. are completely different. Each person is a complete, unique individual, and we need to look at them as, a, as an individual. My friend said to me recently a few times, uh, two brothers, one became super successful, the other became a street bum. They asked the street bum why. Well, my parents were dysfunctional alcoholics. They asked the successful one, why? It's like, <laughs> it's my parents were dysfunctional exactly, alcoholics. Yeah. And they just interpreted it different yeah. and used it different. Quick uh, one, because you spoke about your previous husband. I think you were too handsome and he was too jealous about you. <laughs> That's why the marriage failed. Uh, <laughs> um, do a lot of partners, family members lose enthusiasm for people to go into recovery the people start changing and it's like i don't know if i like this new person i like the old alcoholic drug addict a bit more or at least i knew what i got with now i actually have to look at my shit because i've spoken to a few people and i've noticed this is that also a family type of syndrome like I don't know, like yeah. they're not part of the change, the process, yeah. or like even they just don't like the new person. Like they fucking <laughs> like the old alcoholic. Like they hated that person. Please change. And then yeah. like once they start changing, like I don't know if I Absolutely. like this one. Do you, do you get that? We need to accept. And this is something that I've, 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 I've read about and, I, and I, I, we studied it mm. when I, I qualified as both in psychology and in counseling. And I'm only really... It's only dawning on me now, and the practical application of it in my practice is that every one of us functions in a system. Yeah. And that system is anything at any, st any stage of our lives. You are in a system with your wife and the cats and the dogs. <laughs> um, a family is a system. And the dead tortoise. <laughs> and the, and the <laughs> poor, terrible dead tortoise. <laughs> nice but, probably, yeah. And each of those units contribute to how the system works and what happens a lot in addiction is that the addict the addict's behavior start changing the system so the system start adapting to one very very unhealthy um entity in the system let's take a, a, a back for instance you can work for my yeah, back anybody right. Back. Okay. You can work. You can walk for a very long time with something wrong with your back, mm. and then one day, the whole back goes in spasm, mm. and it could be an injury that happened three years ago. Yeah. Over a period of time, your body, the system, adapted to the thing that 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 is acting up is acting incorrectly, mm. and over a period of time, the system can deal with it, and then one day, the dysfunction becomes too much for the system and the system collapses. Okay. And the same work, works in the family system. So what happens often is that the family members learn to act in a certain way to accommodate the addict's behavior, to accommodate the, the, the addict in, in whatever way. And we find many times the mother enables, the father becomes angry, the sister... Is that the stereotype now? That, that's the stereotype. The, the, the sister withdraws... But stereotypes become comes from yeah, <laughs> reality. Exactly, yeah. The so sister becomes? Withdrawn. 
Okay. Or rebellious. But otherwise, she doesn't, she, she's not part of this. Yeah. So when the addict is getting help and comes back, you bring it, you bring, now you bring a seemingly healthy person into a sick system. Mm. The system got uh, sick. Okay. Yeah. And then suddenly the system doesn't know how to deal with the, yeah. with the healthy part. It's almost like the, the bear and the squirrel goes into hibernation if this weather comes. But now this weather doesn't come and then what do I fucking do now in this heat? Because I'm so used to going into hibernation. Yeah, exactly. Or even if the, I don't know, yeah. it's something yeah. like that almost. So, yeah, so, so the, the, the family has now learned a certain set of behaviors over a period of time. And now be, those behaviors are not needed anymore because the addict doesn't act the way he did. And that's why the latest trend, in, especially in interventions. Mm. What um, is an intervention? Okay, cool. An intervention is when, they say that Tani calls me on, on, the, on the phone line that I used to work on and says, my son is a drug addict. He has now stolen every single bloody thing of value in the house and we can't deal with him anymore. He needs to get help. And we say, but will he willingly come into rehab? No, never, 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 yeah. never. So it's okay, so we need to kind of persuade this dude to go and get help. So what do you do? You get we continue to talk about guys. Or girls. There's fucking <laughs> girls out there that are <laughs> sorry, I'm a sexist. What equally as naughty very, very and so, yeah. unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, should, I should have started by saying the, 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 the male represents the female in this conversation <laughs> as well. So this is the disclaimer. The male represents the female. Which one well. is the fairer sex? <laughs> <laughs> the fairier. <Yeah. laughs> so, okay, cool. Um, so you then arrange with the family to meet with an interventionist and not everybody can do an intervention. We need, you need to be qualified to do an intervention because okay. it can get very confrontational. So do you do a short course on how to do you an can intervention? Do a course on becoming an intervention. So intervention style. is you fucking surprise the, yes. the addict. Yeah. And, and everyone waits at the house. You have a fucking plan. Absolutely. And then and the end you invite the person. They is, know nothing. Yeah. And the end result? And the, the end aim is to get the addict into rehab. And the end aim is not to get the addict to admit that they have a problem. No. At that stage, you want them to, admit, to, 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 to agree to go into rehab. To once consider. They, once they're in rehab. To consider there's a no, problem. You, 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 want, you want them to go as far as, as... And that's what the family does. The family put the pressure on him. Kind of, we cannot deal with you any longer. Family and best friends, for example. Anybody, anybody who's close. But you have to be quite careful about whom you invite into the intervention. For mm. instance, um, a lot of time, as much as mom wants sissy into rehab, mom is also enabling, in, enabling sissy. Mm. And what you find often is that sissies... Let's use the word daughters. A daughter. Because in my cool. oh, yes. <laughs> lingo, a sissy means yeah. a little pussy boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so invariably what happens is mom enables da the daughter. And the daughter's dysfunctional behavior enables the mom to do some other not as good stuff. And that's why we often call it, talk about the elephant in the room. Mm. And that brings me back to the intervention. So while the whole family is focused on on. on the daughter, mom might be having an affair. Ah, okay. And nobody notices because everybody's focused That's on the That's the elephant daughter. in the room. Yes. 
you bitch, it's your fault that I'm this sick. There's, there's actually an amazing book called Elephant in the Room. I can't remember who the author is. Okay. So, so, so it is really a nice read. But the new trend in intervention is we don't surprise the addict with a kind of, please come have a cup of coffee and he walks into the room and everybody's there. Yeah. You actually invite them to a conversation with the family to discuss the system's problem. So how do you phrase it? Hi, Sarah, this is dad. Yeah. Can you please come for coffee on Sunday at 12? Me and the family want to chat to you about how we can figure stuff out. Exactly, yeah. So not figure out how you're going to get help. Yeah. Figure out how we're going to fix you. But we, the goal we, is still to get them in rehab. Yes. So you're just being a sly motherfucker. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and, th- and that's what I like about inter- the, the new, the new trending interventions is... The new approach. The new approach. School yeah. of thought. So, yes, exactly. Because what happens now is Sarah comes into the room and the trained interventionist will open the conversation and the focus isn't on Sarah's problem. The focus is on what's wrong with the system. The eco, the habitat. Yes. But doesn't that person walk in? Do you say to that person, we're going to have someone there counseling? Yeah. Because I'm sure they walk in and it's like, yeah. fuck are you? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a far more transparent process. So there's then, no more the process. There's no way the, the, the surprise element. There's no more the That defense mechanism element. that comes in yeah. is complete shutdown. So maybe yeah. if you give them a heads up, they're a exactly, little bit more yeah. open towards... And everybody owns up this stuff. So what you eventually what, what happens in, in this school of thought is that the addict agrees to go into treatment if... Mom sees the counselor on a regular basis to treat her codependence. Dad sees the same counselor on a regular basis to treat his anger issues. Brother sees the... We're going in real stereotypical <laughs> mode exactly, here. Yeah. <laughs> brother sees the, um, the counselor to stop him constantly watching porn in his room and not engaging with anybody. Yeah. And the system gets fixed while the addict is in the rehab getting better so when he comes back he or she doesn't walk into a sick system he walks into a system that is far more equipped because i think the old school of thought was the addict the alcoholic get the motherfucker into treatment is the is the problem fix him go fix him and um so in that intervention as a trained individual so when someone phones you or you advertise somewhere as an I'm, interventionist. I'm not an interventionist. Okay, but I let's would, is, are interventionists this, yeah, yeah. advertised. And then they ah. would say to the people, okay, cool. Yes. But just so you know, if I come for the intervention, we're going to look at your shirt. So please consider that and let me know <laughs> yeah. if you're ready for that. I because that, that's how it's done in the... In the or do they subtly then yeah. come in? I actually don't know, matter. That, that that's... Because it's also like... <laughs> From my experience, if I if I look at a lot of people I've got to know, it's fuck. The addict is responsible and has to take responsibility. Yeah. But it's 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 fascinating to see how the people accusing the addict or alcoholic is the last people to go look at how am I contributing? Absolutely. How am I triggering? Yeah. And it's just expectation, expectation, and then it's judgment, judgment, judgment. Yeah. And a lot of times, yes, they deserve that. But still, yeah. it, it's a two-way street. The one has maybe 80%, and 
and the other one 20. And it's, it's fascinating to see. I've met a lot of people. they actually gone through treatment or something. And the enthusiasm that they come out with and the quick fall back to fucking nothing because the nothing's changed around them. Exactly. So the modern trend is let's change the system. Let's see if we can, if we can get the person back into a healthier system. Are a lot of addicts, let's say addiction people, because the other one that I failed to mention earlier is overeaters. Yeah. People that sleep too much, people that escape in yeah. fucking books or something. My TV wife, series. Um, TV series. Cell phones. <laughs> Screen addiction. And we um, call it digital cocaine. Yeah, social media. Yeah. Um, which is the other question I'm going to ask you. So one question, what does the actual porn or the social media, what does that release that gives you that euphoria? So that's one question. The other thing that I spoke to somebody about with which I, I understand, I did psychology 112 and 144. I did first year psychology. Okay. So I can't talk from, uh, you know, uh, a deep understanding of the variety of schools of thoughts because you know if you take like uh, someone that's homosexual chromosome x were they born that way did they have daddy issues yeah. mommy issues were they just traumatic experiences with the opposite sex and now it's i spoke to somebody and they were having relationship problems and i've, I've spoken to many people over years and then i'm like and it somehow comes up that some relationship with the father or with the mother. I had a lady uh, fucking 10 years ago. And if I look at the similarities with the way she had a relationship with her father, with me, mm. there are trends, yeah. if you want to admit it or not. And so can you explain that? And then how does that contribute to sometimes people having the addiction? Because I'm sure the relationship with the parents has a massive influence if the person becomes an addict or alcoholic. Do you believe an addict or alcoholic is born or created? Oh, my word. That's an interesting question. Gay people, born or created or both? Born. Bisexual people, born or created? Born. This is obviously your own opinion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Freddie can talk about it. <laughs> it's like uh, uh, LG can joke about fucking Jews. I can joke about the Afrikaners. Freddie can joke about the gay people. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Do so, born. I, I believe so, yeah. That's why we, Lady Gaga's uh, song Born This Way is so popular. I was born This Way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Might be an interesting question, but so alcoholics born I, or I very, created? I very quickly said said born. Yeah, but I think we, like anything in life, we are born with the ability to develop it. Okay, um, schizophrenia, for instance. Yeah, you are you are born with the with the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the ability to predisposition. Fall. Predisposition, yeah. yeah. And what you invariably need is the trigger so we all can develop cancer but genetically some people are more prone to cancer yes. if they're not careful than others absolutely something like that yeah that's why in addiction we one of the first things we ask people is to draw us a family tree mm. and so what is genes and what we see is we see the, the the addiction through the family but if you say that is that genetics that run through or is that behavior patterns or culture that's exactly that's and, been a lineage yeah. of bad 
coping <laughs> mechanisms bad, like bad decision makers don't i cry. don't cry exactly so yeah. that i don't cry mm. uh develops this uh, uh bottle up of emotions and that yeah. normally develops into unhealthy stuff and then three generations later let's start drinking and then three generations later Absolutely. is that what you basically yes. mean yes so you we get born into a dysfunctional dysfunctional system so, so what do we are predisposed so what do we say at the moment for people that are listening that have alcoholic or addict children and this is a tough pill to swallow because i'm sure some people yeah. are looking and they're like what the fuck are you guys saying you say yes. this is my fault no so what's the message take a deep breath <laughs> <laughs> if you really no, but I know no, we that, laugh, but this yeah, is actually no, serious. That, Take really a true. deep breath, yeah. um, relax, and consider that you have maybe contributed. Yeah. And this is quite hard. It's not your fault. It's also, everyone's Absolutely. just trying the best. Yes. It's maybe only two percent contribution. Ninety-eighty percent is with that fucker. But you know, because Seth said the other day, cancer is basically your fault if you get it. Like 10% of cancer is genetics, 90% is you just didn't live yeah. healthy. And we also had a moment of, ah! let's just take a second here because yeah. this is a tough pill to swallow for some people. Okay, so coming back. I think the most important thing here is that, I'm getting back to the system, is we all live as part of a, of a, a, a system. And we as parents... were also part of a system. Mm. And invariably, our coping mechanisms were learnt and we are going to live those coping mechanisms in our own family. And if they were non-functional mm. in your family of origin, then chances are that they're going to be non-functional now as well. And I'm going to use my, myself as an example. It took me a lot of therapy to figure out that my parents did fantastically with me. They did the absolute best. My family never ever warned me against drugs or against men. And look at me today. Mm. I'm a homosexual drug addict. <laughs> so, so guys, there's how, a long going how, off. How do you want to deal with that? <laughs> I think... Uh, Let's pause. Okay. We All right. So we back after back that little alarm. And it's actually only been two minutes, which <laughs> I'm super grateful for because I thought um, you're gonna, we're going to lose the vibe. Yes. <laughs> I actually did forget what we're talking about. We the talking lineage. About, no, I was very, I'm very aware of what we're talking about. We're talking about my parents. Oh, yeah. So what I realized was that I'm the youngest of four children, and we're all two years apart. So, what often happens, especially in modern society, is that times really change very, very quickly, and things change quickly. Mm. I mean, you and I, I don't know about you, but I grew up without television. Yeah, and, and look where we are today. Mm. So, you take, if I have to apply the rules to my children that I learned from my parents. Yeah. They are going to be highly, highly in inefficient. Mm. And I can't do that. And that's what happens invariably with, with parents is they take what they were taught and they apply it. And you end up 
not equipping your child efficiently for life. Okay. And that is what I experienced when I entered life. I felt not equipped for life. So although your parents did a fantastic job, unfortunately, exactly, yeah. a couple of key points that would have been nice <laughs> yeah. weren't there. Totally so. And it took but it's not like to, they to built the Titanic and fucked up the Titanic. Yeah. It's just like exactly, a couple yeah. of things could have helped you, but it's still not their fault. Yeah. So, for instance, so where do you draw the line with I'm ill-equipped and is it almost like because I spoke now to the, the army veteran today. Yes. So shit goes wrong and you have to take responsibility. And he said also earlier, like, I don't put myself into dangerous situations. So it's almost like I'm climbing Mount Everest. I'm equipped to a certain point. Then I reach a level where I'm ill-equipped. Yeah. And I actually have a decision to make if I'm continuing or not. Exactly. And then if you continue, yes, you are not equipped for that. So it's all, is it something similar to that? So you have to make a decision at some point if you're going to go over the edge yeah. or not. And is, is it something like that? I think so. For instance, um, I grew up in a family where we were not allowed to fight. Okay. As children, we weren't allowed to fight with, with each other. Like physically or verbally? Not at all. Any no fighting. aggression, no anger, no nothing. Is that passive aggressiveness or what is that? Well, that taught me manipulation. Okay. Because I couldn't get my way by asserting myself. Okay. So I had to get my way somewhere, somehow in a different way. So you're not allowed to slam your door? No. If you're angry? No, 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 no. You're fucking crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time that I entered the private sector in, in, in a working environment, I worked in an environment where people worked on commission. Okay. And the previous day was payday, and I sit at my desk, and here's this huge fight breaking out between everybody in this open plan office. You get paid on my client, and last month was the same, and you didn't go and change the name to my name. And there's this whole huge fight between everybody, and I'm sitting there thinking, do I have to, on a monthly basis, go and fight for my money? Mm. I was never taught to assert myself, to be aggressive, to fight, to raise my voice to whatever, I can't do this. I am not equipped. Okay, but how does that then contribute to self-esteem? Like pro prostitution or fucking sex addict no. or alcoholism. So how does that Sorry. thing contribute you then going? Because I'm sure a lot of people are trying to understand no. this, maybe family members. How does that then escalate? So, so the process in my head is that I'm not good enough for this. Okay. And the minute that thought comes up, we're dealing with an esteem issue. Okay. Most addicts that I've dealt with. Have so when we speak addicts, we talk about anyone any with form, any form of addiction, yes. gambling, no. sex. Totally so. They, codependency, love, yes. overeaters, there's no. self-esteem problems. Yes. And so the issue was for me in, in that situation, I'm not equipped to do this, but I'm here. Okay. I need to. I need to somehow make make this work. So I became this extremely nice guy. I was just so nice to everybody, so that I don't have to fight with you at the end of the month and can go to you and say, "Did you get paid on Mrs. Deval again?" Yeah. And that, yes, sorry, you know, I'm going to fix it. So they won't fight with me. 
Because so you I'm just were, so fucking nice. So you were dishonest and a people pleaser for a yes. month in order to get what you want. Yeah, rather exactly. than having that five minute yeah. fight at the end yeah. of the month. Instead of just, just, just being myself, confronting the person at the end of the month and getting my fucking money. Okay. <laughs> so okay. What, what, what that boils down to is that I started believing that I'm not good enough. I'm not equipped to live life in that environment. Okay. And that started a process of I'm not equipped. Then I look at which other parts of my life do I feel ill-equipped. And then I look at guys who are big and strong. And I think, how am I ever, ever going to get a boyfriend? This is, what I am con- th- this is my competition. Yeah. I'm ill-equipped to be in a relationship. So if we, if we, if we, okay, let's not use the word I, <laughs> let's use the word they, they or these. So if you look at um, alcoholics or addicts, yeah. symptoms, uh, characteristics, so one characteristic is low self-esteem. Like what would be other types of things that you're feeling? Because I'm, I'm what I'm assuming is that the act of using your substance is taking away the shit that you feel. One, low self-esteem. We said earlier, like emptiness, a void. Like what other stuff is there? What we see very, very often with addicts is self-pity. Okay. For example, poor me, my dad's an arsehole. Poor me. Nobody understands me. Okay. Um, Which brings me probably to loneliness because nobody understands me. Exactly. Okay. We also find with addicts a lot is that they can feel extremely lonely in a group of people. Okay. And a lot of addicts, one of our biggest challenges is to get them out and engage with life. Because what they did was instead of trying to engage with life where they felt so uncomfortable and so ill-equipped to deal with life, they just rather withdrew. And it's that weird thing, what you put out, you'll sometimes get back. So if you say, for example, to people, this is me, the chances you might actually get Absolutely. something like that back. Yeah. So if they start saying, I might have a problem with alcohol, they actually might meet people that have a problem with <laughs> alcohol. But if you want to keep it a secret, you'll always be in this weird, lonely... Absolutely. And then pretending is probably a big thing. Mm. Like I have to pretend that I'm okay. Masks. Okay, is that we, the official term? Yeah, we wear masks for, 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 for the occasions. For instance, my mother said to me, when I went into treatment and I spoke about my self-confidence, and she said to me, but you were always so confident. <laughs> and I pretended to be confident. I was... The one thing I remember about childhood, teenage, early adulthood was extreme fear. Okay. Also, a very, very big characteristic of, of addicts is they, they feel afraid because they feel not, not, not okay to deal with life. And this fear of rejection, where does that oh, come from? Absolutely. Because I see some people take on stuff and they like, fuck, again, France was sitting here talking about going to Afghanistan. And he says, basically, at no point for nine years, I was scared. Yeah. Like, I was just excited. Oh, my word, yeah. It's a fucking journey. Yeah. And some people, I said to him, actually, I think you're high on the sociopath, <laughs> psychopath scale. And he's like, a few people have actually said that. But... I do see some people, I know some people maybe don't express fear 
um, they all have it. But I do notice in some people that they're not as scared as some people or everyone's scared, but some people are fucking terrified. You know, just asking the lady out in the bar, you know, applying for the job, going for the job interview. Yeah. Like I was terrified when I went to England. I was poor, didn't know, going alone. I threw up a few days before, like, and only later did I realize I'm not sick. It was just yeah. nerves. But um, so where does this fear of rejection and fear of failure come from? Is that again like fear of rejection is from your parents? It all feeds back to esteem. And whose responsibility is it to teach you esteem? Your school, like, what do you all like? Healthy esteem, the seed gets planted in our, by our parents. Yeah, just is pull this one a bit closer to you and then just move that thing a bit. Just move that. Yeah, that's that fine. Better? Yeah. So healthy esteem, the seed is planted by your parents. Yeah. That whole thing of, you're okay. You are loved. You are loved and accepted as you are. Okay. That is starting to create a healthy esteem. For instance, for me as the youngest child of four, yeah, I never got that feeling that I am loved and accepted as I am. But you still say that your parents did a fantastic I job. I now realize that they did. Yeah. Because my parents also like fuck. I can't ask for better parents. Yes. Like I love my parents. Like I obviously have really strong disagreements in a variety of facets <laughs> yes. but you know i think also for me like be seen not heard that was a big problem for me like i wasn't allowed to express my opinion in a variety of ways and because uh, i have strong belief in myself but i also have strong insecurities in myself and it's even like now like a kid drove into me with his bicycle he's wrong it's probably ten to fifteen thousand rand damage. Oh my god! And now I'm scared to contact his dad, and I'm like, his dad's not going to pay it. And it's like, where does this come from? Yes. And why am I worrying about this? And I'm not wrong for saying to him that your kid exactly. is wrong. And I'm like, and I think it relates back to a lot of times when I was a kid. That happened. I think also having siblings and a lot of time they were manipulative little yeah. shits, and they will get you into trouble. And a lot of times I was wrong. Like, generally, I'm wrong, okay, because I'm naughty. But a lot of times I wasn't, and then I'll get fucking tuned or disciplined, and yeah. it's like, this isn't me, or you're not looking at my side. And sometimes, I, and now I understand why a lot of my friends don't want to have kids, because they're like, it's a real serious yes. job, and I'm not, and it's fantastic. They say, I'm not equipped to be a father. Mm. Plus, I don't want to. Plus, I don't think it's fair. There's a variety of yes. reasons why people don't want to have children, and I'm like, it is a lot, and I think even in this day and age where I hate the patriarchal society, but at least there you had a fucking full-time mom that was present. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like mom <laughs> and dad's working. No one's present. Yeah. We need to hire a nanny. I don't know if this is making sense and comes Absolutely. back to your point of yes. how you have fantastic parents, but uh, low self-esteem comes yes. from that. The issue is extremely complex and we're trying to make it as simple as possible for, for the purpose of this conversa conversation but what happens a lot is that an event happens mm. in the child's life so when we look at addiction recovery we talk about we look for the trauma we try to find what was the event in the child's life that made them start believe that they're not good enough 
where the self-esteem problem started, where um, a lot of times what happens is the child starts believing that their needs won't, won't be met. And then we're talking classic Maslow theory, you know, the hierarchy of, of, of mm. needs. Can I give you a quick example? Yeah. Go so under 13, like one of the big things when we were in uh, Akerstad Primary, one year you'll go to Johannesburg to go play there. So it was a school thing. And we had a rugby team and we were fucking good mates and we were this group and it was like, we we're going to go to Johannesburg on the rugby tour. Then, unfortunately, I got Western Province Craven Week Rugby. And the reason I say unfortunately <laughs> is now I had to play with guys that I didn't like. Yeah. There wasn't this camaraderie. There was this ego thing. Guys you used to play against. Yeah, and <laughs> I just didn't dig the vibe. I was like, I'm playing rugby because I enjoy it. Then the Craven Week was overlapping with this oh, tour in Johannesburg. Yeah. And all I wanted to do as a 13-year-old is go to Joburg. Yeah. And I was told, fuck you. you not, not fuck you, but it was basically like, you're not going. Exactly, yeah. You don't know what's good for you. And I know my parents know what's better for me. But still, I'm 34 now. I still prefer to have gone to that. That whole experience of just... You don't have a say. Don't argue with me. Even a year later, I got Boerland Athletics. Again, I didn't want to go. I didn't enjoy it. Like yeah. you go to like Paul Roos, you have to attend the athletics where everyone does it. And then, fuck, I won the shot put. <laughs> now I have to go to the Boerland stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I just did it because I had to. And I don't want to fucking do the yeah. sport. And it's like, no, but you have to go do it. And there's so many things that I had to do I had to go to church, which I didn't like. I had to do this, which I didn't like. And it's like, is that what we're talking about? That's exactly the, the stuff we're talking about. In my life, for instance, what, what happened for me, what we discovered was my trauma, was at a very young age, at the age of five, I realized that I'm different. Mm. And that was my sexuality starting to, to form. But I grew up in church, where homosexuality was wrong. Not that, I even, not that I even knew what, yeah. what was happening with me at that stage. But at the age of five, I knew that I was different. Mm. And my head kept on telling me that I'm different. And whatever this difference is, it's wrong. Mm. And it makes me a bad person. And that gave me the belief that I'm unworthy of having my, my needs met. Bad people don't get things in life. Bad okay. people don't have their needs met. Okay. They die at the end of the movie. Yes. So from then on, on, what do you do? You don't ask for your needs to be met. You manipulate. You, you don't ask. You hide. You, mm. you whatever. You put a mask on and say, when you do ask for your needs to be met, it's with bravado and with, with extra assertiveness because you don't know what healthy assertiveness and what healthy esteem is. But why do addicts find it difficult to ask for help? Well, why do people find it difficult to ask for help? <laughs> I find it fascinating. It's like... That is one of the amazing dichotomies of, of addiction. Is because we're afraid that our needs, our needs won't be met. So it's again so, this fear of rejection almost. Yes. In this moment of need, can you please help me? I have low self-esteem, so I don't know if you're going to help me. <laughs> yeah. But I've had situations where I've asked for help and then people don't help you. So I stopped asking those people for help. And I've actually said when they came back to me, it's like, why are you quiet? It's like, I fucking asked you for help. Yeah. And I asked you for help for something really serious and you weren't there. So that started the process of Madhavis needs won't be, won't be met. 
Okay. So therefore, I'm not, I'm not even going to ask. So addicts or people in general, at certain moments in their life, they've asked for help for a variety of stuff. Yeah. And again, well, like we said earlier, that one person will experience a car crash like this, the other one not. So normally the addict alcoholic will be like, well, this is a severe thing. Yes. Rejection. Yeah. And they just, that is ma- the, much bigger. Yes. Although we all experience that. Yeah. The addict invariably functions in, on, on the opposite end of a continent, hmm. whatever that continent is. Okay. We don't function in, in normality where the gray area is. We're either in the, in the white or the black. Things aren't okay. They're either really good or really bad. Um, but they're not bipolar. They're not bipolar, no. Although they there's, have there's bipolar huge, tendencies or symptoms. Yeah, there's a huge difference between what I'm talking about now and, and bipolar. I want to give you an example, for instance, I was a very good athlete in my, in my teenage years. Yeah. And I would go to South African championships and I would run the heat in the morning of the, the, the hurdles normally and then qualify for the finals. And I would spend the time between the heat and the finals mostly in the toilet throwing up. Okay. Being as sick as a dog mm. from stress. While Although doing well. Although doing really well. And you're at the South African championships, yeah. which means you're at Top of exactly. top twenty in the country. Well, the guy that runs the lane next to me will exactly go through that. Wow! I made the final of ISIS. I'm so excited to run in, the, in this final. This is going to be awesome. But aren't you more intelligent, maybe, than that person? That he doesn't have the capability I to ha- think I about that. I always wanted to think that way as well. Again, for me, the way I got accepted, the, the way I felt that I get acceptance in life was through performing well in athletics. So the doing well in that event had a complete different meaning for me. That affirmation we spoke about. Than for the guy next door. But what is the affirmation? The medal or the the adulation from the crowd, from the people, from the friends back at school? All of those things. All of the above. The Euro K, yeah. And And then if you're an addict, like you said last time, the withdrawal. Yeah. So like two days later or... Two hours later, nobody cares a fuck. And then that whole process begins again of I need to accomplish something. Yes. To give you the extreme that that I functioned in was one year I I, I ran the heats at the South African Championships and I I had something like a 0.4 advantage ahead of any of my my. And that um, was over a short distance. That was over 110 meter hurdles. So that's massive. That's a shitload. Yeah. I was by far the favorite to do. To, to, like to, 30 to meters or 20 meters or something. Possibly about. I will, oh, no, sorry. I will 5 to the, 10 meters. I will cross the, the line when they go over the last hurdle. Yeah, sorry. It's, the, um, the top ones are 10 meters per second. So, so I got that wrong. <laughs> and I go into the, the, the final and I fall over the first hurdle. And. Why? I kicked away so hard at the start that I, my, my blocks slipped. Ah. And I ended up too far from the first hurdle and I knocked and the first hurdle. Yeah. That margin of error. And why is, did you is, kick is too hard? Because this is so important. You were so this pumped up. This is my moment. Ah, okay. And now the season ended because SAs is over and after a month we start training again. And I would start training. Every training session, I would be sick. Physically ill, I would throw up. And because you expect this thing to happen again. I, we don't know. 
So I go to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, eventually end up at, hosp- at the hospital where an internist agreed to do a set of blood tests and everything. They do every single test on earth. They cannot find anything wrong with me. Yeah. Eventually the guy sits me down and says to me, are you sure this isn't mental? Mm. And that night, oh, now I'm first, second year varsity, and I was sitting making notes and it suddenly dawned on me, you know what? You need to decide whether you want to continue running or not. Is it worth That's it? That's the issue, yes. Is it worth it? That trauma made me sick. Of the, that one hurdle that, that you unexpected, clipped? Uh, the, the unfulfilled expectation. Mm. I didn't get the, expect, the, the, the adulation, the affirmation. That's everything I worked for for a whole year. Fell apart in 0.7 of a second. And somebody else would have used that as motivation yes. to do better. Somebody else exactly. would, would have been like, I'm oh. a competitor, but fucking tough luck. So what does Freddie Head tells him? See, you're not worthy. You've never been worthy you of You dumb offer. motherfucker. You should have checked the blocks yeah. better or something. You're, right? you're just not worthy of being the best. And then you're, that never get, no, you're never going to get what you want. You're a useless piece of shit. People are going to hate you for, for always. You, and then you go back into that void. And is that then a conscious effort to like go in? into so let's say the addict goes into that so like use your example will the addict then go like okay i need to get rid of these feelings i need to change now who i am because i've heard the term geographical which means okay maybe (laughs) if i move somewhere else i won't have these problems i can re uh, redevelop who i am the typical thing would be that if i move to cape town people don't know me there there won't be this expectation on me to perform. Okay. So therefore, I moved down to Cape Town. But it was never the people's expectation that, that was about performance. It was my own expectation. I felt I needed to perform to be accepted. And then the new ventures you undertake, you still feel like you need to perform exactly, inevitably. Yeah. The same thing happens over and over And you need that affirmations yeah. and stuff. And Don't then at so. what point does the addict be like, okay, let me drink. Let me take drugs. I hate this feeling of feeling like this. And like then this you, noise in my head or what? This noise in my head, this... I, 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 I hate is there like this actual like, feeling that you feel? It's a, it's a physical... I don't like my life. I don't yeah. like me or what is it? Exactly. Exactly. I started drinking when I stopped running. Okay. Because the minute that I stopped running, the void that the running was filling... Okay. ...became the void again. Yeah. And I, I was left with the void. And what could the void? What filled the void? When I took my first drink, yeah. I felt oh, all this tension I've been feeling all my life. I'm feeling all relaxed now. Because I, I read now that a lot of um, you know, like athletes that are world champs or whatever, once they retire, they suffer from severe depression and a variety of stuff. And I think it's all, I think a lot of it is probably, if I had to speculate, that. Life becomes boring, but I think a lot of them is like for 15 years, I all of boys. this replaced the shit. Exactly. I was the, um, my sponsors, my managers, the people. And yeah. then I listened to this TED talk about Rodney Mullen, which was this world famous and still is uh, skateboarder. Okay. And he said the weird thing of is like he's won world championships and fucking in the industry is like one of the godfathers. And he's like, it's that weird thing of you go to like an exhibition and everyone's like, fuck. Yeah. He's like, you climb in your car, two minutes later, nobody knows you and nobody gives a fuck. And you just, you, you. Yeah. 
you know so and i think that's maybe what a lot of these professional athletes so. experience yeah that's probably what these addicts or alcoholics experience once they get off that high they sit with themselves yes. but then i've exactly heard this that. term of functional i've seen friends that use coke and i don't see them as addicts yeah i've seen people smoke weed i don't see them as addicts i see people drink i don't see exactly. them as alcoholics what's the difference between a an actual addict and a non, a functioning, a non, like, yeah. where do you draw the line between that? So if there's people looking and they're like, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or addict or whatever, how no. do you? I think to start with, we, we back to the tolerance withdrawal thing. Okay. So if you, re I reached a point where I had to, to use more drugs than my partner to get the same high. Okay. And once we stopped, you could go to bed and sleep while I had the need to use more. Because the void was back when the drugs was gone. Mm. While he didn't have the void to fill, he could, okay. he could move, move on with his life. Um, that's the one thing. The, the other thing is, I always jokingly thought to my, in my head, thought to myself, but how can celebrities, like in rich movie stars, end up in rehab? Yeah. Well, surely you only go to rehab when the money runs out? <laughs> 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 that's truly what I thought. Yeah. But what ultimately takes those people in, into rehab is the the, the, the brain process that we go through, this constant obsession yeah. that, that we're stuck in. Normal people who, the normal drug user will go out, buy a gram of coke, have a wonderful evening, go and work the full week, and yes, he will, he will feel the, the, the down on the Tuesday, but he won't think of, of buying coke to get out of the down because he doesn't have the void that, that the coke fills for me. So it's almost like you drink a glass of wine out of relaxation and it's a form of just chilling out versus drinking a glass of wine because hopefully after i drink it it takes me away from exactly. myself is, yeah. it, is that yes. basically it yes because my wife drinks sometimes a gin and tonic and i'm like that the way she drinks a gin and tonic i love it like the way she drinks a glass of wine like but exactly the same situation yeah you might be absolutely what is like earlier i asked you what is the experience physically that people get when they watch porn that or social media that makes it addictive like what happens what happens where that gets them literally addicted and do they get like physical withdrawal if they don't get it so can you explain yes. that it's exactly the the pleasure center in the brain gets stimulated in the same way for for the person who needs that hit again we are dealing with one person can get 5,000 likes on a picture in social media and it has, oh, look, I've got 5,000 likes because he's got a good self-esteem and he's quite okay with himself. Another person will get five likes and go, yes, yes. This, the likes have a different meaning to him, the allergy. And he wants more of that. The, the pleasure center in the brain gets stimulated in the same way as a hit of cocaine. Mm. And that becomes addictive to the person who do needs. So it's actually the, the almost why, the same. That's why we call the digital addiction. We call it digital cocaine. And that's almost more like because I got off cigarettes five years ago, and it was fairly easy for me. I must say, like it's it's one of the easy. Easy for you? Yeah, it's one of for the me, easier. That was more difficult than drugs and alcohol. It was one of the easier things I've done, uh, because I just never attempted it. 
Okay. So once I was like, I don't want to smoke anymore, yeah. I just stopped smoking. I had like a, the, <laughs> I had a brother dying of cancer, looking like a skeleton. That made it a lot easier. Okay, yeah. But it's like, um, it's like when somebody lifts a car and they had that fucking adrenaline, let, let yes. me save this. Like It's like weirdly like easy. I think I just hit the right moment in my life where I was like, whatever. Um, I have no fucking idea why I started talking about that. I don't know as well. <laughs> so I don't know. So I just active listening. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just uh, it's interesting to look at people. Some have a problem, some don't. Yeah. Uh, some can leave certain uh, characteristics. Some can't. Oh yeah, and we were talking about uh, um, stimulation in the brain. The thing getting released here. Um, I know it's like with my podcast. Like when I started it, it's like, oh, I've got the podcast, uh, uh, I've got the website, I've got the Facebook page, I've got the YouTube channel. And then in the beginning, it's like, how many people like it? How many, is there any comments? And then after a while, I'm like, I just don't fucking care. Exactly. Like, oh, whatever. Well. Like, if you're going to like it or not, <laughs> if I have like 50 views <laughs> or 100 or whatever, I just got to the point, like, it's just so much effort to keep track of all of yeah. that. But I'm sure other people, they get this real hit. And mm. I can relate. Like, I've had it where I was checking it. I was like, ooh, this is exciting. It's yeah. like, oh, I want to go check my Facebook later. So that's basically it. And there's like an actual physical release yeah. of something. And that gets addictive. Totally so. Totally and, do you, so. and that's, oh, yeah. And I want to talk about cigarettes I find is difficult to leave because the repercussions aren't that severe and drastic probably as mm -hmm. alcohol it's not like you go cold turkey from heroin and it's like fuck this is yes. dangerous it's not like cigarettes does that and I'm sure it's even more difficult with a telephone it's so much more <laughs> subtle <laughs> exactly a big problem with I'm going to address two things at the same time I okay. think is a big problem a lot of people there is something called not um Nicotine Anonymous. Okay. I know in Cape Town, a lot of people have tried to start a Nicotine Anonymous meeting. It didn't, it didn't happen. People struggle to... They see their powerlessness over nicotine because they know that every 20 minutes or every half hour, every hour they need to smoke a cigarette. But they struggle to find the unmanageability. They struggle to see how it makes their lives unmanageable. Mm. And it's because... A lot of us struggle to, uh, to, to think. You know, we all always think that this won't happen to me. What, like cancer, for like example? Like lung, ca lung cancer won't happen to me. It's yeah. just one of those things. Is hijacking. Yeah. A car hijacking, it doesn't happen to me. It happens to other people yeah. until it happens to you. So that's the, 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 the nature of the, of, the, of the human spirit, is it won't happen to me. And that makes getting people off cigarettes so difficult they, they, Do people see you to get they, all cigarettes? Not really. We get a lot of. I, I haven't had that, but because we get a lot of people, we got a lot of people into the helpline to say, "I want to get off cigarettes," and the big problem with that is you can't send that person to rehab because most people in rehab smoke. Ah, okay. So they get they nearly get more confronted. <laughs> it's like with the, the worst drug. place in the world. Exactly. There's less so you, people smoking at the office. Yeah. So you can't send that person to rehab. You, and you does this hypnotism shit work? Not as far as I know. 
And yeah. something I heard is that uh, you can take this thing that stops you drinking or like you get terribly sick if you drink. Yeah, What's that um, called? Um, 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 Do you know that? Yes. Anti-something. And, and, and Does that work? No. Because the behavior doesn't change. Is, so is, it's is, a, is, I don't drink because I fear of getting sick rather than I stop drinking because I want to. Is it yeah. something like that? It's, is the tablet that I take once a day or the implant in my skin going to give me self-esteem? No. Oh, I'm going okay. to continue behaving the same way. I'm going to continue reacting to life in the same way as I did. So the need to drink isn't going to go away. All I'm doing is I'm white-knuckling mm. the fear of being sick. We need... Addiction treatment is getting people to change the way they think so they can act differently. Cognitive behavioral therapy. So if you think differently, do you feel different? When you think differently... What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like? We, we get the person to think differently because then they act differently and then they feel different. Okay. And where does neurological pathways fit into this whole oh. discussion? Because I know we've talked about yeah. that and I like it and I've spoken to uh, my uh, psychologist about that. For example, my, my predisposition to get angry with traffic. Ah. And uh, either I spoke about it earlier about visualizing people cutting me off visualizing my response where does that yes. fit into the addict or the alcoholic that wants to change their lives it is and i've heard is it true that sex addicts find it more difficult or it's a longer process to become happy yeah. or clean or something as a rule your your process addictions your non-chemical -chemi addictions so we, we we classify addiction as the chemical addictions drugs and alcohol and the process addictions um food Love, sex, love and sex, gambling, um, codependence and those type of things. Mm. The process addictions are normally more difficult to, to get better from because it is so part of us. It's not something we can put down. Okay. We cannot not eat. I have a vast amount of sympathy for overeaters or for people with eating disorders. To have an unhealthy relationship is such a normal, natural thing. That's everywhere. It's extremely difficult. Yes. The same with sex. We are sexual beings. We were created sexual beings. Mm. And I've got a problem with, with, with the way, with what I was created as. It's almost like workaholics too. Yes. It's so normal to work, but at which point? Yeah. When is it healthy? When is it unhealthy? When is it healthy to have a meal? And when is it unhealthy to have a meal? That type of thing. But neurological pathways. So... The way I explain it to, to people is the Grand Canyon was formed over years and years and years and years and years and years of water taking a certain path and it forms the canyon eventually. In our heads, the way I, I, I see it is when a car cuts you off, you get angry. That starts a neurological pathway. Cut off anger, cut off anger, cut off anger. And the more you do it, the, the deeper that canyon, in your, the, the more ingrained the neurological pathway is formed. What I need to do as your counselor is I need you to roll a boulder in front of the entrance of the canyon and say, Madva, from today on, you need to take a different route. 
You can't allow cut-off to shoot down the anger pathway. Mm. We need to find a different pathway. Okay. So invariably what I say is cut-off, three seconds. So the guy cuts up instead of jumping down the, the, the anger pathway, say, okay, before I'm going to react, I'm going to take three seconds and decide what is the appropriate response. Well, what if the three seconds isn't working? Because, for example, <laughs> I had an incident with my family the other day. Ah. And I had to drive 15 minutes to get to them after I heard that they did something. <laughs> For that 15 minutes, I told myself, I probably shouldn't be doing this. I probably shouldn't be doing this. I probably shouldn't be doing this. And I, it's like five seconds, just breathe. Okay, cool. Five seconds later, it's like that, motherfuckers. <laughs> so, and I'm sure like if you take now yeah. the addict or alcoholic, they say this, like we're talking about cutting off in traffic, but yeah. I'm sure there's... Let's say your boss is a dick. Now you feel like drinking. Or yeah. I think relationships is a big thing probably mm. for addicts and alcoholics. That's probably the biggest trigger. Yeah. So something happens. Romances and finances. <laughs> That's quite cool. I've never heard that. No, that's cool. Um, so now they feel like drinking. Automatic response. Mm. So how does the neurological pathway fit in here? And let's say they are visioning or trying to think, yeah. and then five seconds later, it's like, I still want to fucking drink. I still want to watch porn. Or like, yeah. what do you do there? I'm going to... The interesting thing you did the other day was you... The trigger was what your family did. Yeah. In order to... You tried to, 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 to not engage with the trigger by... Moving closer to the trigger. Okay. You, what you should have done was instead of driving to them, you should have driven away from them. So driving wasn't the problem. It was the direction of the... It was the, the direction <laughs> that you drove that, that, that was the problem. Remove yourself from the situation. Mm. That's why in addiction recovery, it's extremely important to know what the triggers are so that we can know how to deal with, with the trigger. So if you climb into the car... Because something triggered you and you want to go drink or you want to go score yep. or something. That's not a problem. Just drive to drive. someone or... Drive in in 12-step programs, we say drive to your sponsor. Drive to your friend in recovery. Okay. You know how you always say, um, use the phone. We all use the phone to call the dealer. We now need to teach the addict to use the phone, but to dial a different number. His sponsor, his friend in recovery. Yeah. A different neuro pathway. Because I spoke to France, the army guy earlier, and uh, he also said, because I asked him, like, you look fucking cool after nine years of professional career of a soldier. Like, what do you think? And he said, like, obviously having a wife, cool partner. But he also says, you know, hanging out with people that also went to the war. You know, and finding people that think the same, and exactly. it's probably like a support network. Very, he very said about so, yeah. discipline, routine, structure, continue to work out, do all the same things. Yeah. You know, and uh, find stuff that fills your time. Yes. And so, I'm sure with a drug addict or the alcoholic, it's also probably that of addiction recovery. Is I have an, a holistic approach to it. I need to look at. At everything you do. Invariably, when I see a client for the first time, I talk about how much do you sleep? How much do you work? Um, what do you eat? Yeah. What, what, what meals do you eat? What time do you wake up in the mornings? What do you do when you wake up? Um, what exercise do you get? How often do you get? How, do you have a healthy relationship with exercise? 
Um, yeah. How's the relationship? What's relationships and finances? Exactly. <laughs> but ro- romance and finances. How's your financial <laughs> situation? How's your, your 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 home situation? Yeah. Um, how's your spiritual situation? Yeah. Because what what happens often is that in addiction recovery, we need to we need to fill the void, and we can't fill the void with another addiction. But let's say now we get because I'm I'm fucking nailing you here now because is that why I'm sweating so much? <laughs> I told that feel as if I'm going to do a um, oral oral exam. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would have passed this one, by the way. No, but just <laughs> we're just checking it. But it's like so. Let's let's use the codependency one because I feel that that is also a lot more difficult. It's a bit more concrete when you look at the the fucking sex addict, the gambling, because the codependent person gets treated like shit, but they want to somehow go back to that person. So is it exactly the same? Just drive to somebody that actually cares about you because it's almost like the drug or the, uh, uh, the drug won't make you feel better. Maybe now. So the yes. codependent person is, I just want to get back to the person I broke up with 24 hours ago. I heard a story yeah. earlier this week. Guy had somehow this fucking chick went fucking batshit crazy, threw something at him. He was just like, fuck you. Like, we've been dating six months. This is not cool. Yeah. Pack your shit and leave. 24 hours later, she's like, fuck you. Okay, cool. 24 hours later, she's sitting on the couch crying. I'm like, please take me back. And I'm like, that's probably unhealthy people, yeah. codependent, you yes. know. And so it's also like pick up the phone, drive to someone different. Very, very much the same situation. The, the difficult thing with codependence is that there isn't really a definition for codependence. Or the fellowship of codependence yeah. doesn't want to define codependence. What they rather say is, here's a list of characteristics of things that codependent people do. Read through the list and see if, you, if a lot of these resonate with you. And then you can say you're a codependent. Okay. Because you, there are so many different ways in which codependent presents itself in our daily lives. Okay. That we can't say this is codependence, that is codependence. And there are also various forms of codependency. We, we, we classify it in four or five different categories, of which I don't know. One is controlling, which I am. I'm a controlling codependent. Okay. I try to control my environment to make me feel safe. Okay. If I don't have control over the environment, I don't feel safe. I fucking will hate it. <laughs> um, and then you get also, for instance, the affirmation one. The, um, that's the wrong word. It's not affirmation. We used the word earlier. Um, let's use affirmation for the time being. Okay. Is I need you to tell me that I'm okay. I need you to show me that I'm okay. Yeah. So you're, the codependence in, in, in that regard is that... Adulation? Is that... A, no, that's not the word. It was another word. Um, okay, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll get but to before it, you get to that, you say you like to control people. Yeah. Is there control codependence situations. that likes to be controlled? Because, yes. because like, I know with my, with my wife, I'm this fucking crazy guy that would lose his shit sometimes. So she says I'm a retard for that. But I know behind that phrase, she is loving it that if shit hits the fan, I'm going to protect her. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a codependent that likes to control 
But then there's the codependent that likes... That will be the helpless one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't rescue me. Okay. The, the, the victim. Okay. Yes. The victim. That's something. Yeah. The poor me. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't get I, out I, of this. I, I can't. I need you. I need rescuing. I need helping. Mm. I need um, affirming. Because that's something that helps me a lot in my life is whatever I experience, I try to sometimes tell myself... There are many people in this world that have experienced worse things, that has experienced this in a worse way. Yeah. Like somebody stole money from my business four years ago. It was 10,000 Rand. So what I said to myself is there was another, he stole money from another company. He stole a million Rand from them. Oh my God. So it's like, you know, my brother died, but I knew about it. Yeah. I was preparing for that where fucking somebody else's Mm. Like I know in the, the football world at the moment, Cardiff bought a football player. He flew over and his fucking plane crashed. Yeah. And nobody knows what happened or the plane just disappeared. Like They everyone, found him now, by the way. I know. Yes. I found it, They found the body. and the, It's just there's always somebody with the worst experience. Yeah. So that's what I try to tell myself after a day or two or a week of feeling sorry for myself <laughs> I like that or a month <laughs> 20 years later <laughs> coming out like, of the cave with my like beard it's like okay <laughs> or it could have been worse yeah it could have been exactly what we what we try to do is we try I try to get my clients to accept what is because a big problem with addicts' codependence is they struggle to accept what is. Yeah. They want to change things. They want to change the way they feel. Yeah. They want to change the fact that this happened. They want to ignore the fact that this happened. Yeah. Well, if you can just come to a point of acceptance that it's okay. I'm still alive. I'm okay. Yeah. And that brings us to a sense of spirit. A sense of spirit is somehow important. In, in a form of, of, of recovery is... Is that where the spirituality comes that's in? That's where spirituality comes in. And it's not religion. It's not any... It can be whatever. But it can be that thing that... It doesn't matter what happens to you in my life. I am okay. And I've got a lot of other things that are going well for me. Because mm. what we tend to do as, as addicts and codependents and all those type of things is when shit goes down, it's the worst thing ever. And things will never be okay again. One thing that we're very aware of in, in addiction recovery is extreme, extreme language use. Never, um, always. We always point it out to people. So you say, he always does it. Do you mean that he never does it differently? No. So then why do you say he always does it? Mm. Does he do it once a week, once a day? Yeah. You know, once a day. So how many times does he not do it that way? About five times. So it's not always. <laughs> Again, we, the, the black and white, the, the extremes. We, we try to get people to move away from the extremes and to move to the middle way. It's, it is okay. It's only once. It's your 10,000 rand got stolen and you're still okay. Yeah. Your brother died. You're still okay. Yeah. It's not nice. I didn't enjoy no, it. Definitely not. It's not acceptable. Yeah. But 
you you accept what is and you and you process it and you move on the key to addiction recovery the way i look at it is feelings learn to live with the feelings because what we try to do in any form of addiction is we try to change the feeling can you get cured no from any I, of these things i don't think there's a cure i think there is a reprieve we can teach you i buy into the disease model of addiction okay i know there's a lot of people who don't i do i believe that addiction is the same as diabetes there right. is no cure for diabetes as things stand at the moment but there's treatment there is treatment by you the diabetic yes by the diabetic doing a certain set of things every day mm. he can live a very healthy normal life but saying that not everyone that fucking smokes crack is a crack addict exactly <laughs> and that's a very important thing is back to to, to me being on a helpline the tani calls and says i caught my daughter in the room doing a line of cocaine what should i do I said well how have you spoken to her mm. invariably the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> Says, okay, let's put down the phone, go speak to your daughter and ask, have an adult, honest, open conversation with your daughter in a non-judgmental way. How often does she do it? How often has she does it? Um, does she lose school or does it have an influence in her life? How much mm. money does she spend on it? And come back to it. Mm. And invariably the answer is, she said it's only the second time that she's done it. Okay. Said, okay, so... What I'm hearing But is... But can you believe that bitch then? Yes, exactly. So the first question I ask her, you as the mother, do you, do you believe her? Moms always know. <laughs> yeah. A woman's intuition. I trust that with my life. They know, Maribel, they know. The woman, the woman who, who suspects her husband of having an affair, it, it's so interesting. Especially with sex addiction because sex addiction is a shame-based illness. Okay. So... Sorry, I wanted to ask you earlier, now that you, you mentioned yeah. the word shame, I, I, I saw this movie called Shame with uh, Michael Fassbender okay, about no. being a sex addict. Have you seen that? No. I think it's called Shame. Fucking intense. This guy's like a pure sex addict. And I never really understood it. And when I watched that, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Now I understand. Now I get an idea of the depths that you go. Yeah. It's like I remember, I think Basketball Diaries was like in the old days, like drug addiction. And it's like some of those movies you watch and it's like, okay, I'm slowly getting an idea for this. So shame-based uh, yeah. disease or illness, what do you say? In, there's a theory in sex addiction that says that the sex addict is addicted to the shame. Okay. That we call in addiction recovery also, we talk about the concept that shit stinks but it's warm. Yeah. Is the shame is nearly a... a, a a place of comfort for us. We've yeah. been living in that shame for so long that we don't know how to live without it. Okay. Um, but what I want to say is so many sex addicts, you can't hide the fact that you've acted out from your wife. The wife will look at you and say, you've acted out. If she knows you're an addict. Yes. But if you've hidden it and she in doesn't know? Invariably, they will say, once you come clean, I knew there was something wrong. Is there more men? Most sex addicts are being caught by their wives. That's how they come to recovery. Yeah, are there more males in sex addiction? Yeah. Why? Oh, Is that something of the... No, that's a really difficult question. We, if, if I could answer that question, we, we, we can change the world in sex addiction because we believe 
that there's possibly the same amount of women who struggle with sex addiction, but it's the men that come into recovery. And we... we, we or social acceptance? We think it, it has to do with, 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 with the kind of social thing that women are supposed to be purer and women are supposed to be virgins and the loving, caring type of thing. Women can't come out to the hunt and those type of things. It's like that stereotypical, like if a guy... Uh, sleeps with many women it's almost like high five and yes, if a woman exactly. does that it's like She's fucking slut, slut. Yeah. Totally so you that, think that, that has a massive influence totally so yeah but I've, I've sometimes wondered when it comes to like because we spoke earlier about culture coping mechanisms being equipped I sometimes feel that women are slightly better equipped at dealing with certain emotional and mental things yeah. and I wonder if that possibly has an influence on them maybe being slightly healthier like fuck i've met some women that are batshit crazy like <laughs> jesus like walk circles around that crazy Absolutely, eyes like yeah. but I, I i sometimes like maybe from an africana perspective like men are not supposed to talk about their feelings and stuff so i wonder if women are sometimes maybe do you think that has a yes. influence absolutely and i want i think we touched on that is the support system an addict needs a support system to, we spoke about earlier, the, the sense of belonging mm. is the minute you walk into an NA meeting and you see there's other people who are also addicted, okay. who feel and think the same as me. And that's where women are better than men. Women talk to their friends. Okay. They go to the, to the girlfriend and they, she, she sits and she cries her eyes out. And they have a glass of wine or two, a cup of tea or two. She gets all these emotions they're far more in touch with their feelings than men are. Okay. So men won't call you in a street and say, he called his best bud and say, yeah. kind of, I feel very sad today. You think, well, think you're fucking crazy. Yeah, this guy did something and he really hurt my feelings. Exactly. And I feel slightly <laughs> rejected, you know. Yeah, exactly. I hope he's not going to do it tomorrow. That really, so, that yeah. was not appropriate. So we as men <laughs> don't have that forum. Acceptance, social acceptance. Yeah. I'm going to try and wrap this up in about 15 minutes cool. because uh, We've due been to the uh, alarms, we're running over time. So the following questions will be in answer in any form you want. I generally believe if you look at having problems in your life, there's no one cause. There, and many things influence that. And there's generally not one solution. There's many aspects. So I assume that when you look at addiction, alcoholism, whatever, there are a variety of solutions out yes. there. So the one question is, where is the, what is the different avenues that people can look for help? Also, family members. Okay. Obviously, your phone number will be at the bottom. <laughs> so that's the one question. I also want to wrap up with... Um, if someone's listening and they're wondering if they have depression, what is the symptoms and what do you recommend they do? Okay. So what do you feel and think? What, like say I'm depressed and I wake up. 
what is the thoughts and the feelings I have? And then I was like, fuck, well, if I have this, then I'm depressed. Yeah. Then the other thing is, how do I know if I'm bipolar? Because I go okay. through fucking like, yes, this life is amazing. <laughs> and then six hours later, something happens. I'm like, these motherfuckers. Yeah. So how do I identify bipolar? And like this is, we don't have enough time for this, but I'm also sure that if you date someone or you're in a relationship or you have friends or family, like, do you, because I watch Silver Linings Playbook. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Fucking hell, never watching nothing. Um, I don't watch well, television. Okay. <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook is a thing with uh, Bradley Cooper and the girl from uh, fucking that other thing. I can't think of her name now. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, and I think they're I both bipolar. And then like you see the way that they behave. And it's like okay after a while it's like well that's normal that's cool that's fine but i think it's like i didn't know a lot of people that are bipolar yeah. and i'm starting to meet more and i can somehow gauge that this oh, is my expectations yeah but that's a i think quite a long topic let's quickly let's quickly jump into the bipolar thing no no I let's fucking finish the if we can sorry okay let's finish the alcoholism stuff okay solutions cool. where do they go for any of the alcoholism, sex addictions. Now, I am a very strong believer of 12-step fellowships. Okay. So, for the addict, there is Narcotics Anonymous. For the alcoholic, there is Alcoholics Anonymous. For virtually, there are something like 220 different fellowships in the world. I saw Hoarders Anonymous the Hoarders other day. Anonymous, um, Financial Underachievers Anonymous, um, Cocaine Anonymous. There, there's virtually, for, there are so many fellowships so if you if if you whatever you're struggling with type in the word whatever anonymous and see they might just a, a fellowship might pop up now what a fellowship is it's a group of men and women who struggle with the same thing that you're struggling with and all they are is they try to help each other to get to live happily with this um Common problem? Yeah, with this common co co common problem. If you are a family member of somebody who struggles with, with something, is for the major addictions, there are Naranon for drugs, Alanon for... I went to Alanon and it okay. fucking changed my awesome. life. Alanon for alcoholics, Koza for a sex addiction, and those are the three major ones that, that, that I know of. Generally in Cape Town, there's a lot? Yes. Cape Town is an amazing place to be an addict <laughs> or a family of an addict because the support systems are fantastic. Okay. Um, so that's 12-step fellowships. <laughs> Let's just see the, just stay quiet. I want to see the level. Yeah, that's quite a high level. That will irritate the fuck out of people. Are we going to just quickly stop again? Yeah, cool. God, give Sorry. me a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if... Ooh, fuck. Yeah, okay, that's quite loud. If uh, people are worrying, wondering what the fuck is going on, there's an alarm next door going off, and I have to pause <laughs> until that is switched off, and then we can get back to yes. this. So, so we're going about the support networks the support for network. families. So that's the one thing is the top-step fellowships. The other thing is get in touch with either a rehab because they know all the resources in the area. Okay. 
Okay, so go online and say drug addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction, um, uh, 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 watching serious addiction, or what whatever it is. Yeah, and the the minute addiction is there. Google will pick up where you are invariably and identify addiction treatment centers. And those people will be able to to direct you. So one 12-step fellowships, yeah. either if you're a family member or the one with a problem, yes. then there's institutions yeah. or facilities. But even the institutions will, will, will be able to direct the family member. And um, something I always wonder, which I find funny, is people that have problems that go to psychologists and counselors. Because I feel just like there's a lot of businesses doing a shit job for money. There's a lot of psychologists and counselors that are just raking in the money yeah. and not helping the people with problems. And I think a lot of times when you see professionals, you the boss basically. So yeah. you determine where the discussion goes. But you're sick. You need help. So you direct the boat, but you direct it everywhere except to the real problem. Yeah. And I've seen some people that have seen psychologists and psychiatrists and fucking whatever. And um, uh, I just don't know how much it helps. Like, listen, I went to a psychiatrist. I told him I have a repetitive brain injury, brain trauma. And he wasn't really keen on that. He tried to identify... Uh, fucking ADHD, ADD. He's got like an ADHD fucking erection. So I said to him, no. So he's like, okay, need mood stabilizer, maybe antidepressants. So I was like, cool, I'll try that out. Like, I'm open for anything. Then I went to go see a psychologist, but I asked him, can I have a psychologist that's going to tell me, go fuck yourself, you're lying to me? Yeah. Now, my da guy does that, but he's uh, not nerdish, but he's not like, bombastic and he does call me on my yeah. stuff so I, I love it and now as we've worked it's like i do have brain injury so i told my psychiatrist fuck you we've developed now this theory that i'm quite intelligent my wife won't believe it <laughs> but uh, i have memory problems and we thought it was because of my brain injuries we've determined that i get bored very quickly ah. and if i don't give attention so i have attention problems in the sense of not adhd or add I just don't find it interesting. And if I don't find it interesting, it doesn't go into a drawer here. And unfortunately, when my yeah. wife talks... As my husband always says, I would love to stay in chat, but you're really boring me. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't realize that it's boring. So then no. I forget and then people tune me shit. So then I have a, not an attention problem, but it was just like, I need to now put in mechanisms. But anyway, I'm working proactively with this guy. I'm working proactively with a chiropractor, a doctor on my back, and we've come to realize, like, I probably didn't have depression. A lot of my back and neck problems has caused me to feel, because the symptoms are the same. Yeah. So I don't know if psychologists and psychiatrists are the solution. I'm probably if you're lucky and you find a good one, I don't know yeah. what your opinion on that is. It's such a difficult, it's such a difficult answer to give you. Let's start by what I know. Mm -hmm. is As a counselor, we basically, what they teach us in counseling school, <laughs> so I went to counseling school, like beauty school, and we're supposed to see somebody for six times. And if we're not making progress, then we're supposed to refer on. Ah, okay. Either I'm not the right counselor for you. But how many people do that? Not very, not very many. Like I, I got confronted this week with a client where I, I, 
I had to say kind of, maybe we need to face it that I'm not the right, not the right counselor for you. And, and what I, the, okay, I don't want to ask them what the response yeah, was. The answer was, I, I, I really get along with you. I would love to continue working with you. Although you think possibly... I have to ask myself the question, if the client's not getting better, whether it might be me. But what's weird is, so let's say they say, I want to continue because yeah. I like you and I get on well with you. And you disagree. Their perception of if you're working or not is warped. Yeah. And this that, is the problem that I have so with people. That's so important that we have to question ourselves. So I had to stand back and say, is it me? So in that situation, I have identified another addiction. In this person. In this person. So I, can, I can't continue doing the same thing expecting a different result with my client. Okay. I'm going to do something different. And the, the something different is... Is working on a, on a different you know, addiction. You know what's interesting? Because we spoke to France and um, I can't remember what I want to say, but it, it was almost like he said that a lot of selfless people lose their lives or get in, in, injured at war, the good ones. And I feel almost like, and so you don't get a reward for your fantastic behavior. And I feel it's the same in business a lot of times, yeah. that you don't get that uh, financial reward for your fantastic behavior. Because I have clients that phone my school and they're like, I want you to change my business. I'm like, I can, but I need to change you as the boss or the manager. And I'm like, oh, but I just want you to change my yeah. waiters. <laughs> so I'm like, listen, it's not going to work. I had, a, I had a lady phone me earlier this week. She's like, I need you to train my manager. So I said, cool, let's discuss this. At the end of the discussion, after about 15 minutes, I'm like, you know the solution is you just giving her a disciplinary hearing and you just basically too scared to sit down with her and tune her shirt. Yeah. She's like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, listen, please, you pay me 650 rand an hour. Yeah. You tell me how many hours you want to spend or you send it on my course. But I'm just telling you now, I won't be fixing your problem. Now, it's a fantastic <laughs> thing that I'm honest, but I don't mm. get rewarded for that financially. Yeah. And I think it's the same for a lot of psychiatrists yeah. and doctors. So I think they tend to like not choose that behavior. Mm. It's the same like probably what France was saying at war. Like, because yeah. um, we were talking about an example of throwing a grenade. So he said, what you do when a grenade falls next to you is you fall flat. That's it. Because yeah. if you fall flat, chances are 90% that it's not going to yeah. hurt you. And he says a lot of times, or not a lot, but there were some cases where people throw the grenade back. And I'm like, but isn't that contrary to what you thought? He's like, yeah, but the, normally when that happens, it's like the people think that maybe some of their team members won't survive. So they take rather that option of trying to okay, throw it back, wow. hope for the best. Yeah. And that's why it says a hmm. lot of people get hurt yeah. that are selfless. And I'm sure hmm. it's the same in your situation. But yeah. trying to convince someone that has a war position of their life is quite difficult. Yes. So ethically, we need to be very, very aware of the contribution we make. Hmm. And I am, I'm a people pleaser. So I want to walk away knowing that I'm helping people. But mm. also I might be gay, but I stay a male. Male are problem solvers. I want to solve the problem. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I'm not seeing progress, yeah. then I, I get frustrated with myself. Don't ask for compassion. Give me a thing that I can actually <laughs> physically do. <laughs> exactly. Marva, I want to say something there that's actually quite important for this conversation is we get a lot of addicts of whatever form that continue relapsing. Okay. 
relapsing meaning going back to going the old back behavior. to the old behavior yeah start using again start overeating again whatever the case may be when that happens continuously we need to look at two different things one is are we treating the correct addiction uh, okay a lot of people have i'm using drugs but i'm also a love addict uh, okay i'm drinking a lot but i also watch a shit lot of porn Okay. But I'm talking about the fact that I'm drinking a lot because that's not so shame-based, but I'm not going to talk about the fact that I'm like watching a shitload of porn. Uh, okay. People think I'm a pervert because one of the standard questions I ask is how often do you masturbate? Mm. <laughs> I need to know that shit for, yeah. for, for me to make sure that I'm treating the right thing. Yeah. I, I need to know that. So a lot of time, there is a process addiction that we're not aware of or not treating. So if your client keeps on relapsing or if, if your brother or sister or, or whoever keeps on relapsing make sure that you're treating the correct addiction because it's probably like if you're smoking weed chances are good you're drinking and smoking cigarettes as well yeah. if you're shooting heroin chances are good you've taken a few lines of coke or Ex- smoke weed or or other downers at least yeah definitely you know a variety of yeah. other stuff so i'm sure yeah. the people come see you and there's normally a variety of other stuff yes. and they're willing to be honest on the one area but not totally the other so. and the other thing that we need to look at is what we call coexisting conditions Okay. So you are using a crap load of drugs which makes your life unmanageable. Are you actually depressed maybe? Do you suffer from depression? Do you suffer from anxiety? Do you have um, post-traumatic stress syndrome? Are you schizophrenic? Do you have um, borderline personality disorder? For as long as I try to treat your addiction and you have all this other stuff, I'm not going to be able to help your addiction. Because the other stuff is constantly, you might be clean but you feel like shit. So you end up using because you feel like shit. So I need to find out whether there's some other stuff as well. So I, I work very close to one specific psychiatrist in, in Cape Town. If I suspect even the slightest coexisting condition, go and see the psychiatrist immediately. But and the problem the, I have with the psychiatrist is if you give a, a guy a hammer, he's going to look for a nail. Yeah. And if you go see a psychiatrist, he's going to look for the right pharmaceutical shit to pump into your system <laughs> yeah that's and why again find the right psychiatrist find someone you trust yeah and i'm getting uh, i'm trying to arrange for a pharmacist to come on oh cool and he said 80 or 90 percent of the mm. shit they sell is not needed i know 80 or 90 percent of shit that i take is placebos yeah but um so but it's it's just uh because again so we said 12-step fellowship psychiatrists psychologists um now we said rehab facilities where does medication and religion come into this because we have a church here called shofar and i've heard a lot of people that go to shofar my brother was one he really he went from someone that smoked a lot of weed took a fucking hallucinogenics and stuff he became super fucking christian yeah it's, and it's, it's almost like a brain, not a brainwash thing, but I sometimes feel mm. almost like they joined the Church of Scientology. And then somehow it's almost worse at the end of it because then that really breaks down. And that's what I wanted to say about France earlier, is that he says like when you're 18, 19 and you do, join the military, you have to break down somebody and rebuild them. And I, th- I assume that that's what the rehabs do. And I, th- I assume sometimes they break down a lot and then they try to build you up. And possibly psychiatrists and psychologists can't do that once a week, every hour. It's because you also determine what they can and cannot yeah. do. So is that also the breakdown rebuild process? No. Um, no, not at all. That, that's not how I, I work. 
I would, I would. But isn't that how rehabs work? Not really, no. Not all of them. No, some, so, of them. some do, and I don't agree with with how they work. Okay. We don't have to break you down to find to find the reason why you act in a certain way. Sorry. Do you feel guilty taking money helping people? No. Okay. But Because I discount very quickly. Is it? <laughs> Because I want to help you. Yeah. Often I, I discount and I find because I think you don't have the money and I find out later but you spent 2,000 rand a month on your nails. I think, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I discount far too quickly. Because I, I sometimes have this problem where, I don't know, it's so easy for me to help you that I feel almost guilty to charge you money for that. Yeah. But it's almost like, I don't know, I just find it just yeah. quickly. So medicine, it has a place in... Medicine definitely has a place in addiction recovery the very important thing is that the medicine needs to be prescribed by the appropriate professional okay cool and how do you know you have the appropriate professional <sighs> that's the difficult part do you feel second opinions third second opinions, opinions third, third opinions i'm lucky that i seem to have found that the appropriate professional is somebody i can really feel comfortable with like we really talk very openly and very easily we actually scream over each other to get a talking but that do you really okay. that's I, i i love going to see her and the results are there that i feel better mm. that that's all i want is i suffer from depression i'm a depression sufferer for a very long time i didn't want to take medication Fantastic segue. What is depression? <laughs> I know you want to talk about a lot of stuff, yeah. but we've got to try and wrap it yes. up. So quickly, depression is, and I'm going to use myself as the example, is in my, I came off the drugs and the alcohol and the, the, the addictive sex. And over a period of time, I just started feeling more and more bad. And even though my life was in order, I was feeling bad. They, they, there's an incongruence between what's happening in my life and how I feel. Okay. Constantly. It's not that some days I feel I started feeling really suicidal. But my life was really good. Okay. When there's this incongruence, then there's something, there's possibly a chemical imbalance. Because it if was, some, yeah. If somebody died in your life and you feel depressed, that's completely okay. That's normal. Yeah, that's normal. Standard. But if it lasts longer than a year, then it's possibly not normal anymore. Then there's an incongruence between the event and the feeling. Kurt Cobain, fucking biggest <laughs> rock star, shoots himself if Courtney didn't do it. <laughs> But there's this DJ that killed himself. Avicii. Um, Avicii. Oh. It's probably a similar type yeah. of thing of fucking exactly. one of the biggest DJs at the moment. Yeah, and you would think he should be on top of the world. He, goodbye. He, he kills himself. But then I think someone like Robin Williams that I heard is that he had some sort of illness that took away and it was like listen i've i've had it yeah um then there's the cte that i sometimes worry that about that i have it which is the disease of repetitive concussions yeah you know and that anyway but so that, that's depression that that for me is 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 the real definition of depression and that's what i, I hit so i went off on medication so what you feel and what your life is like isn't in sync yeah so life's good you, you feel, feel like, like constantly Yeah, and that's the, 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 the symptoms of depression are normally sleep. Do you sleep too much or do you struggle to sleep? Are you eating okay? Are you eating on a regular basis? Because normally depressions either overeat or they don't want to eat because they feel like shit. Um, can you engage with life? 
normally people are, who are depressed sleep a hell of a lot because they just don't have the energy. They just don't have this energy. Nothing to makes them life. happy. Nothing a makes you happy. Conflict with everyone. A lot of depressions don't even go there because they don't even engage with people. Okay. Um, but then what's manic depressive? Manic depression is when this depression, when your depression is, when you're on a low constantly. So let's take this as the as the as being okay. Manic depressions, most of us fluctuate on on a level. We're not always okay, but we, we fluctuate on this line. De- depressed people will will invariably. F- fluctuate underneath the line and manic depressions have been functioning quite low for a long time. Okay. That's manic depression and they can't lift themselves up. Mm. Normal depressions like me, I'm not extremely low but I'm under this line. When I take my medication I'm slightly on top of this line. Okay. Bipolar people jump between this and to answer your question of earlier when are you bipolar, again is there a reason for you to be manic? I mean, it's okay to be manic when you're here, you've, you've won a million bucks. Yeah. yeah, you're going to go fucking crazy. But if you're going crazy and there's no reason for you to, then uh, you're okay. possibly a slightly manic. Or if you go into a really deep trench. If you're going to really, really yeah, deep depression. Really for, yeah, and you fluctuate between this for no reason whatsoever. I watched a South African guy on YouTube and he showed how he would fucking go up and down. I heard sometimes that it can be a 15-minute cycle yeah. sometimes. This guy went through like this and that like numerous times during a day. But yeah. I think that's obviously an extreme case. Yeah. And then what? So if you, that's the line and you fluctuate here and there, what the bipolar medication does, it keeps you in a lower, high and low bracket. What we try to do with the medication is we try to, 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 to make the band smaller. Okay. So that you're still going to fluctuate, but you're going to fluctuate within acceptable uh, parameters for you. But it's we don't want to numb the feelings. That's what happens. That's why with bipolar, we struggle to get the medi- we. I'm not a, a psychiatrist. They struggle to get the medita- medication right, um, because a lot of the medication numbs the person completely. They have no feelings. That's also not what we're working yeah. towards. We want you to feel normal, to be okay, to feel. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay yeah. to feel. And like normal means up and down. Up and down, yeah. And that's what addicts have a lot of problems. We want to feel up the whole time. We can't yeah. deal with, with that down feeling. I do. I, I struggle with that sometimes in the sense of, I don't know why, but it's almost like I've got to be like minimum six out of 10 every day with my feelings. Like yeah. I just need to be six, seven, eight, nine out of 10 because I'm trying hard. So I should be feeling yeah. good. And I struggle to like fucking just, I've struggled to feel tired. <laughs> like, oh my God. And it's like I want, I want what he's having. <laughs> I, I, uh, it's like, like yesterday, I was fucking dead. I had such a big deadline. I wrote a whole training manual in a week. Good God! And I got home finally yesterday after this fucking week, and I'm like, oh I'm destroyed. And I'm like, what a fucking dick. I'm like, maybe I need to drink a coffee, have a banana, get some glucose in, like push, push, push. And then finally, like I'm dying on the couch and then the neighbor's kid comes and it's like, will you play tennis with me, please? Obviously, I can't say no to a six-year-old. So it's like fucking play tennis. Then, oh, no. And I'm like, and that just continues to go on and on. But I don't know how I got <laughs> That's an insight into my life. The, the answer to what, we, what, what I really work towards for my clients is a healthy balance in life. Mm. And back to your religion's question. 
A lot of people use religion to fill the void. Okay. But it's, it's good to have a sense of a higher power. It's excellent. But the higher power can't be, can't fill that hole that drugs fill. Because now you're again but can't it? unhealthy. It can. But do you have a balance? Do you live a balanced life? Are you eating healthy? Are you getting exercise? Are you socializing with your family? Are you seeing your friends? Are you going out? Are you getting exercise? That, that's, a, we, we, yeah. we try to find a sense of balance. I try to get you to be holistically the best person I can get you to be. If you're going to be addicted to church, yeah. then you're not balanced. If you're not seeing your family because you're constantly at church, that's Cause, not balanced. Because I see some church people, I'm like, fuck, that looks cool. I'm like, that looks seriously cool. But I think I've seen a difference between church people that they've been cool church people their whole life versus people that have been alcoholics or addicts. And now they suddenly are reborn uh, religious people. And the way they do it, I'm like, I, I'm not envious see, on that. I, but I see that as they fill the hole. Mm, the, okay. the void, the void but has been filled seen, by that. But I'm also... Uh, maybe but it also, does. But maybe also, matter what does. happens a lot is... The pendulum swings. You're, you're an addict on... Where's, where's the camera? There. Where am I? There am I. So, <laughs> this is the middle of the pendulum. So, in addiction, we're there. Once we drop the addiction, we're possibly going to swing over. Yeah. To, to the, the, the overly, overly recovering for a, for a while. Yeah. But the pendulum swings and what we're hoping for over a period of time to find the middle way. That's mm. the balance. A balanced life in all aspects of your life. Mm. If I can get that for people, that that's the happiest person I can be. Yeah. I think I'm gonna wrap it up there. I wanna talk about your conference, but I think what you should maybe do is um come do an advertising spiel one day. No, but I would like to know maybe uh send me do a fifteen, twenty minute audio, explain your conference, send mm. it to me and I'll put it onto my Facebook, I'll put it onto my YouTube. The reason I wanna get out of here is I can hear that Kaya Mandi is starting to party. Ah. And there is and some taxis and stuff that, starting yeah. to park out here and I can hear the, the party is starting. Yeah. It's 6.30, so I want to get out of here while it's safe. Yeah, let's do that. So that's why I'm going to wrap it up. There's so many things I still want to <sighs> ask you. Second time that you're here. Yes. Thank you. I have a lot to say. What can I do? What can I say? What can <laughs> I say? What can I say? I've got a lot to yeah. say. <laughs> Lada, thank you for having me. I yeah. really appreciate the forum that that you give somebody like me to actually talk about addiction mm. and let's watch it let's show it this to other people i i don't think i i'm not a specialist i am mm. just an addict who went to study a little bit to help people and that's what i try to do to the best of my ability mm. but if i get one person to hear that we pain is inevitable but mm. suffering is a choice we don't have to suffer there's help mm. there's always help somewhere Ask for help. Please. Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> cool. Thank Thanks for my armband. Plezier. Bye. Thank you, Freddy. Groot plezier. I know this is really much longer than the standard Meet Me in the Field episodes, so I keep it as extra short. I felt as if I were doing an oral exam. <laughs> I'm sure you can hear me sweating under the pressure. <laughs> It was great talking to Madva though, and I wish him all of the best with Talking Orangutans. I urge you to look for Talking Orangutans on Facebook and on YouTube, and subscribe. He talks to very interesting people about a vast array of topics. 
If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field or Freddy Counselor, or on Twitter at, at @rensburgfreddy or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. I want to thank Madra for his time and energy and for allowing me to use his recording on Meet Me in the Field. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.